0: Good morning once again. Well, the picture up there that you can see is not some tourist who spent too long at Mount Maunganui Beach. Uh, It's actually a a picture of of hope. And in this series, we're going to describe what hope looks like for the Christian. Uh, It's a a beautiful letter that we're going to look at, and uh, it's the very first letter that was ever written by the Apostle Paul to the church. And so everything in it is fresh and exciting, and, and, and it has an air of expectation about it. And so um, what we've done, as you know, is um, we've prepared a Bible study booklet. Uh, For those of you who are already in small groups, you have the option to be able to do this. If you'd like to be in a small group and make this study your own, uh, please make yourself known at the Information Centre, and we can put you into a small group if you'd like to. Uh, Otherwise, you can uh, do this on your own, or you can pick this up online. We've got the booklet there online, and the videos, the sermons will be online as well. So we're heading into 1 Thessalonians, so what I'd like to do now is just to pause for a moment and pray and invite God to lead us through this book. Father, we thank you that for thousands of years, this letter to the Thessalonian church has encouraged, inspired, and given hope to so many people. And we just want to stand in that tradition and be able to receive through your word an inspiration that is going to allow us to live this Christian life in a way that is purposeful and meaningful and successful. Lord, for all the trials and struggles that this early church had, they still expressed their love for you with great joy. And we want to see, as we will do, ourselves in there and just learn and be encouraged through your scriptures. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that picture up there is a sort of a, an adaptation of an art form, a Japanese art form, called kintsugi, And it's about 400 years old, this art form, which is not very old for a Japanese uh, form of art. But um, what it is is that uh, maybe somewhere in the, in the this began was that a vase or a bowl got broken, and someone decided to put it back together. And so kintsugi is something where you take a broken piece of pottery and you glue it back together again, but you paint over it with a gold um, fleck that covers all the cracks. And the goal is then to make this piece of pottery more beautiful than it was before it was broken. And so we see this as a fantastic illustration of what God wants to do in our lives. He takes broken lives and he rebuilds them, repastes them back together so that they can become not a battle line of scars, but a battle of victories. Yeah, a record of victories, not a record of scars. And so what we're doing is we're using this as an illustration of what it is that this early church in Thessalonica went through when it began this journey of faith. And so this morning, we're going to start in the beginning. And the beginning is the book of Acts. This is where this story begins in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Because there was recorded for us is when this church was born. Paul and his disciples were traveling through the region. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And they just received this, this revelation that they should go across to Macedonia, the area that we now know as Greece. And so they go across the sea and they arrive at Philippi and they begin to minister there to the Philippian church. They begin the Philippian church. They get pushed out of town is the nicest way to put it. They get persecuted and chased out of town and they find themselves in Thessalonica. Okay, so let's let's have a look at what these scriptures tell us. In the beginning, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil then they made Jason and the others bond and let them go. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a, a powerful little story, isn't it? Paul and Silas and the team had only been in Thessalonica for three weeks. It's pretty much as all we got is a record of three weeks worth of ministry. And within that three weeks, Paul goes to the synagogue. He reasons with the Jews. He reasons with the God-fearing Greeks and these prominent women. We assume they're Women of distinction, i.e. coming from wealthy homes or important homes in the city. And they have become a, uh, a touchstone, if you like, for for the Spirit of God to do something powerful. Just three weeks, it seems. And, uh, and we've got a church starting. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if I was in Thessalonica at the time and I saw this happening and somebody said, what are the odds of this little church surviving? If I went down to the Thessalonica TAB and put put a bed on, I wouldn't have given very good odds for a church that was only three weeks old to survive when the, when the founder leaves. Yeah, And it's a, um, it's a challenge for us to be able to see that God can take the tiniest thing, the tiniest little bit of flame, if you like, and begin something that just becomes an, an unquenchable fire, as it did in Thessalonica. And just talking about church plants is talking to Pastor Colin Grootsmarker, earlier in the week, we planted a church last year out at Papamoa East, out at Golden Sands. And uh, they had um, their biggest attendance last week of 125 people. They've got nine small groups happening. They've got a youth group starting. They hope to take 20-plus people to Easter camp this year. And they're already looking at, um, well, they're in the process now of working through getting a bigger premise because they're outgrowing the one that they're in. So that's good news, isn't it? Yeah, Exciting. So uh, when Pastor Colin turns up in a little while and he preaches here, as we, we're planning to do, uh, and he starts to tell you, just, just say, you've heard it all. I've stolen his thunder. Yeah. So the thing about this, uh, this, this beginning is that uh, we can celebrate the things that we normally don't celebrate. When I say that, we celebrate the fact that within three weeks, the Spirit of God was doing enough damage in that city to cause a riot it's pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? Now, riots aren't normally that good news, you know? But here we've got a riot that's happened because God is transforming lives and people's lives are being turned upside down, turning away from the ways that they were living towards the living God, Jesus. And so we're now going to open up the, the uh, start of this letter to the Thessalonian church and we go to Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all, you, for, for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Now, this is not an uncommon beginning, but remember, this is the first time that Paul has ever written a letter that we know of to the churches. This is the first letter that Paul wrote. And so we see in here a beginning of Paul's thinking of whom God is and who the saints are, who the church is. And these first few lines tell us something really wonderful about Paul's view of God and Paul's view of the church. You'll notice there in the top line, it says to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, in God, not of God, not for God, not by God, but in God. And there is something deeply personal here about the way that Paul introduces himself to the church by reminding them that they are in God. That's the whole dynamic of the Christian faith is that we are wrapped up in Christ. We become, or we are, a brother or sister of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in this family. We are part of this this Trinitarian model of, of God that allows us, the people of God, to be part of God. Yeah? It's a comforting place to be. We are in the family of God. We are in God. Now, isn't this amazing first sentence? Really, when you think about it, all this New Testament scripture that we've got going, we are told we are in God. And then Paul goes on to describe how he prays. He says, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. So immediately Paul is saying, we are with you in the spirit. We are with you in prayer. And he says, we thank God for all of you. Now, I'm sure they weren't a perfect group of people, but Paul was wanting to thank God for them because they were this fledgling church. They were the beginning of this whole new creation that God was making through Christ. And so, Paul, you can imagine him saying, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for, for, for Bill. I thank you for, for Thomas. I thank you for Susan and Sarah and, and praying blessing into these people's lives, which is a reminder to us, of how we should be praying for each other. Just pray and thank God for one another. Uh, Sometimes we get a little bit helpful, helpful with our prayers. We want to help God. Oh Lord, I wish my nephew, who's such a loser, would get a new job, you know, get away from that crowd. Perhaps he could get a job, Lord, at the at the supermarket, there's such a lovely lady at the checkout there. You could become friends with her. Oh, God, that would be so nice. And if he's a produce manager, that would be outstanding, God. And we offer advice to God, don't we? You ever done that? Yeah, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. But what Paul says, just thank God for people. And when you thank God for people, what are you going to do? You're going to see all the cool things about them. You're going to see their positive side. You're going to be reminded that these people are a work in progress. Yes, but they are your fano, your body, your, your, your family in Christ. And Paul is saying right in the outset that we are in God and that we should love and respect one another and, and pray for one another. So let's move on because Paul is going to introduce something that is really quite profound in the sense that he's beginning this whole journey of being a pastor to the churches by writing to them. So we move into verse three and Paul says, we remember before our God and father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we see these words for the first time, faith, love, and hope. We're only three verses into Paul's first writings to the church and we find these words. So Paul didn't make this up as he went. Paul knew that this triptych, this is almost like a a, a trinity, if you like, of, of words of encouragement have become already formed in his life. He knows that this Christian faith is actually about faith, hope and love or faith, love and hope. And that's the order that he put them in. And so when we look at these words, they inspire us, don't they? Because we want more faith We want more love and we want more hope. We want more hope. Uh, Yet yet it's a trap. When I say this, it's a trap because we interpret these words, faith, love, and hope, as if they're all about our feelings and our well being. You know, we can sit on our couch at home, read the Bible, have a little prayer, and we go, oh, I'm just so filled with faith and love, and I have a great hope for the future. Oh, this is wonderful being a Christian. I'm just so blessed. I could just sit here and dwell in the presence of the Lord and wait for heaven. But we do this. You go to churches. I've been to cathedrals all over Europe, for example, and we see these words, faith, hope, and love, or love, hope, and faith, uh, written all over the churches wherever you go. And they're such meaningful words, but they were never designed to be passive, because the context of the third verse of the first letter that Paul ever wrote uh, talked about work produced by faith. It talked about labor prompted by love, not the party. Endurance inspired by hope. So whilst we grab those words, faith, hope, and love, and we go, they're wonderful, I just want more of it, Paul was telling us about these words because they generated activity. He wanted work, he wanted labor, he wanted endurance. Can you see what I'm saying? So these things, these, these feelings that we have, these sense of, of being loved and overwhelmed and prompted by God, are really positive things in themselves, but they were never to be set apart for themselves as a nice package of feelings that you should feel as a Christian. These were the things that motivated you towards work, towards labour, and towards endurance. That's, that's what the Christian faith is. Work, in other words, work produced by faith means that we do the work of the ministry. And in faith, we believe, that God is going ahead of us, speaking into people's lives, preparing them for the word that we would bring about Christ. Labor, the energy that is needed to produce love because whenever you love, you will do. And sometimes we get challenged to love the unlovable and we can only have God's love to do that, can't we? Yeah? And of course, endurance is inspired by hope. When we hope on Christ's return, when we hope, on his continued presence in our lives, we will endure. It's like, you know, you might be in a, in a marriage situation and you're going, man, I really, really love my spouse. But right now it's tough. Right now it's tough. I've got hope. We, we, we presented a picture of hope at that marriage altar and now it's tough, but we're going to push through and we're going to endure. Yeah? Yeah, this, this, is, this is where this stuff comes from. Um, so we find ourselves um, talking about these, these things in a way that create energy, create power in our lives. So we are reminded that this is an active faith, not a passive faith. So let's continue on. Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering and, the, and, and with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now this word here that talks about um, <clears throat> a deep conviction, okay, deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. When words are spoken through the gospel, when the word of Christ is talked about, There is power on those words, spiritual power. When the story is told about Jesus Christ, an audience, any audience, will be touched by the Spirit of God in that moment, and they are making decisions as to whether to accept the Word or reject the Word. It's a powerful message. It's a spiritual message that enlivens people's lives. It tells them that there is a spiritual life that they're still to enter into, where they too can be born again. But we're told here that the Holy Spirit comes upon us with deep conviction. You know where a deep conviction starts? A deep conviction starts with a little conviction. A little conviction that you open your heart to. It's very easy to say, I haven't had a deep conviction of God for a long, long time. Well, let me just say to you, there will be lots of little convictions, but you've closed the door. A deep conviction is when you have this sense in which God is opening up uh, 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 something new for you to explore in your life, your, your attitudes, your understanding of something. Maybe God's calling you to do something completely new. We've just welcomed the Stacey family. Deborah and, and Rob and the family went from a little conviction to a deep conviction, Maybe God wants us to move from this place. Maybe He wants us to move to Bethlehem. Little conviction, deep conviction. But we can all push back on the Spirit of God really, really easily, can't we? Little conviction. Let's just forget about the little conviction. I like life the way it is. I just want to focus on faith, hope, and love and sky sport. My ministry is to pray for the All Blacks. So easy. So easy to, to miss the deep conviction because we, we ignore the little conviction. Yeah? So, um, you know, sometimes you'll put it upon somebody else to, to cause a deep conviction in your life. You know, I've got to go and listen to the preacher who, who rolls it up like thunder and yells and screams and gets into my head and my heart. That's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility to hear the voice of God. It's not someone to hear the voice for you and tell you what it is. The conviction of the Lord is, is deep. And, and Paul goes on to then talk about why we need this deep conviction, because there are times when we're going to have severe suffering. See there? Severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Well, it doesn't make sense, does it? But yet, we know what that is like when we go through a tough time and we get to the other end and we've made it. I was just reading in the Herald last night um, about the coast-to-coast coast, uh, race, you know, where people go from one side of the South Island to the other. They, they run, they kayak, and they cycle. And um, Richie McCaw was interviewed, and he said, how did the race go? And um, he, did, he did pretty well, actually, with his, with his mate. They did a tandem race, and they got fourth. Pretty good going for an old rugby player. And um, he said, yeah, now the first day, I was just feeling terrible. Nothing really came together, I just wasn't feeling right. But we got out of bed this morning and things were feeling better and so we pushed forward and he said, there are times when I say to myself, why am I doing this? This isn't fun. But he said, now that we've crossed the line, we look back and we think, that was awesome. And next year we want to do better. That, that's what happens with, with suffering, is that we stand in suffering because we've got hope that gives us Endurance. And from that basis, on that basis, we can stand and then we look back over our shoulder and we go, you know what, I think I grew through that suffering, I grew through that struggle and next time I'll be able to do better. That's what suffering is about. And sometimes you will find people persecuting you in the workplace, in schools, in different environments because they know that you've got a church life, they know that you've got a relationship with God in some fashion or form, they know that you call yourself a Christian. And so for Paul, he's saying, look, you, and then in the context of all of these different things that are going on in your life, Paul then says, and so you've become a model. This is what he goes on. After the suffering, you, and he's talking to the church, the Thessalonians, you've become a model. Why? Because you've toughed it out. You've been persecuted. Those folks that went and grabbed Jason and dragged him up to the, the middle of the town and sort of put a bond on them, which is really saying you've got to be good, otherwise you go in jail. These same people were persecuting this young church that was barely three three, three weeks old when it started. Now you're a model. You've done well. Paul said, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became a model. You know, um, we're all models doesn't matter where you go, if you're known as a Christian, you will be the Bible that people read. Your behaviours, your words, your attitudes, these are the things that people see in you and through you, and they're measuring as to whether this Jesus guy makes any difference in your life or not. And I know for myself, being, being a minister, um, that sort of label is on me, you know, so I'm always mindful of things about who I am and what I do. And yesterday I was working in the yard, some chainsawing, hot day, wasn't it? You know, I'm out there just a lather of sweat. need to go down the garage, get some more petrol. You know, shorts on, work boots, black T-shirt. Stay down, stay upwind from me. That would be ideal. And uh, I go down the service station. I got out of the car and I thought, is this a good look for a minister? And I'm like, yeah, that's all right. Just stay upwind and you'll be fine. Um, But that's okay. But you're asking yourself these questions, aren't you? You know, when you go into into a, a restaurant or, a, a, you know, you go to a concert or you go to some people's places. There's always these questions, you know, would Jesus like to go there with me? You know, that's pretty, pretty normal. And, um, and yet we are a model, all of us. So we need to carry that willingly. Uh, about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now, a uh, young, young lady in the life of our church um, Ran a coffee cart down at the Waikato River, and uh, they've sold it since. But um, she had a couple of guys come to the front of the coffee cart, and they're uh, quite a bit older than her, my age, and um, <clears throat> and they said they started this conversation. And one said to the other, "Hey, I haven't seen you around here for a long time. You know, not since we're at school together. Oh, yeah, now we're living in Auckland." Oh, really? He says, oh, cool. He says, uh, yeah, we're just down for a little while. He says, hey, what's happening around here? You know, who are the people we went to school with and what are they doing and what are they up to? And this guy looked at this other fellow and said, oh, you know, Craig Vernal? Yeah, he said, he's a priest. He's a priest. And the guy looked at him and said, no. <laughs> he said, I never, ever thought he had become gay. So completely wrong understanding of what it means to be a priest, clearly, but but I turned to this young lady who had just come out of our youth group and I said, so what did you say? She said, nothing, I just gave them their coffee. (laughs) I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks. It's easy for you to wreck my reputation or at least not defend it, you know? So, um, yeah. I said, why don't you tell them that I was married and had kids? Mm. So the Lord's message rang out from you. It's Paul talking to the the Thessalonian church about the fact that they're famous. They're models. They're supermodels because of the suffering they've been under. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. These are other believers who have visited them. They tell how you've turned to God from idols to serve the living, true God. Now, every one of us here who puts Christ first has turned from an idol of some sort. Yeah? There's been something in your life that has been the centre of your life, and you had to replace that with Jesus. Otherwise... Jesus is always going to be competing. Maybe that's where you are. You're finding that the competition still goes on. But for all of us, we have a story which says we have turned from this to follow Jesus. Now, in the day, of course, Thessalonians, gods were everywhere, Greek gods, Roman gods. And so the idols that they worshipped and served were replaced by the living God, Jesus. And each one of us, as I say, has moved from one place to another. And that's our testimony. Now, I'm going to embarrass somebody who's here today, but um, David Goodman, who's somewhere around here. He's going to put his hand up for me. There's David, Denise. Uh, David got baptised at Strand Waterfront on Thursday. And uh, so congratulations, David. Let's give him a hand. So... What David did was go downtown and publicly get baptised, you know. He has turned from to Jesus. So David's been, uh, he's got a career uh, fixing and making fishing rods. He's also into hot rods. So he's turned from rods to Jesus, yeah. And, um, and so putting Christ at the centre of his life. Now, all of us have a story like that. And this story is one that uh, we need to hold on to to ensure that we don't lose our story because our story is really, really valuable. It's really vital. You heard the story of that young guy there on that Alpha uh, advertisement just a moment ago. And each one of us has a story. It doesn't have to be because you went to prison, but we have a story and we need to be confident about it. Confident about the fact that we too are being models of what it means to be a follower of of Christ. And so Paul finally wraps up this this, this, uh, this part of the letter, and he says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Here is a young church, and there is a sense of immediacy. Folks, they didn't understand that the gospel being preached to the ends of the earth means all the way around the world. They thought the ends of the earth sort of ended in Judea or Samaria, okay? So here they were in Greece thinking, wow, this is the ends of the earth. And so there was a very high expectation amongst them that Jesus was going to return soon. And this is the thing that Paul is correcting. He wants them to hold on to the hope that they have in Christ, but he doesn't want them to lose hope because Jesus didn't turn up last week. And so we see Paul pastorally caring for his church here in Thessalonica, and we're going to see more of this in the weeks ahead. But for Paul, the ultimate hope that we have is that it's all going to wrap up and it's all going to be okay at the end of the day. All things are going to be reconciled in Christ, in the God whom we've told we're already in. Remember we told in the first sentence, we are in God. So all of the world that we are in, all the way in which things are going to be worked out is going to include us, include us. And Paul is saying, we have a hope that allows us to be removed from this idea that the wrath of God is going to come upon us, upon us because we are in God. We won't face the judgment that God will bring to the world. We are in Christ and therefore by being in Him, we've found salvation to its fullest degree. And it's a powerful, powerful word to a young church that is trying to find their way through persecution, through suffering, through this intimidation that people push against them and say, ah, you want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be a Christian? Well, we're going to do it this way. And people stand firm and hold on and say, yep, we can handle the suffering. And in the end, it's all wrapped up in Christ and we're already in there. That's great, isn't it? It's great news. So great that we should finish on it. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope that produces labor, that produces work, that produces endurance. I love that. Why don't we stand for prayer? God, at times we, we just need to imagine what that hot, dusty city of Thessalonica must have been like in the day. With people having a revelation that Jesus is the Son of God and their lives being so totally transformed that they, they throw out all that has been meaningful to them in the past and they put Jesus right at the centre of their lives. And for others who don't understand it, Lord, in, in the hot and the heat of the day, chasing people, persecuting people, intimidating people who have said, I'm putting Jesus first. And yet, Lord, these people are our people, they're our family, they're those who have gone before us, and they have indeed become a model to us, a model of what the Christian life looks like, a model that with perseverance we can overcome, with endurance we can see a way through all the suffering, all the challenges that we might face. And so we hold on to, Lord, these words, faith, love, and hope, and we look at, work and labour and endurance tied together. And we're so grateful that you've given these to us, that we might be empowered to live the Christian life. So Father, I pray your blessing upon all of us here today. And as we open up this study to look in a deeper way at the Word of God, we just want to pray that uh, you build your church through your Word. Strengthen us individually and strengthen us corporately so that we will be a model to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, we're going to finish here because we went on a little bit longer today. But I want you to turn to the person next to you, either side, one you might know, one you might not, and you say to them, a deep conviction starts with a little conviction.